Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramus, your host for today, and I'm bringing you part five of the series that Pastor Eric Dauma taught at Gospel of Grace Fellowship called The Tale of Two Cities, The World Builds Babylon. In this episode, he is going to discuss the religious roots of future Babylon. Here's Pastor Eric. Now, remember last time when we were looking at the building of Babylon, we saw that the world is going to build a future Babylonian system as the headquarters of rebellion against God. And this week, what I want to focus on is how Babylon is going to be the headquarters of false religion in the last seven years. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because the Apostle, Pon, the Apostle John tells us as much in the book of Revelation. Revelation 17, 1 through 2, John wrote this. He said, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to notice, first of all, the great harlot reference that you see first highlighted in red. Babylon is referred to as the great harlot because in the Old Testament, harlotry was often synonymous with false religion or spiritual adultery. Uh, For example, remember Israel had a prophet named Hosea that was required by God to marry a woman who was a harlot. And she was an object lesson of the spiritual adultery of Israel or their false religion. So here, that's why we know that Babylon is going to be the headquarters of all false religion. But this begs the question, who's going to fall for it? Who's going to fall for this? Well, we see that at the end of verse 2, it says, Those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. Remember, dear ones, that phrase, those who dwell upon the earth, occurs 11 times. 11 times in the book of Revelation. Each time, it's referring exclusively to those who are unbelievers. Now, isn't it interesting? Unbelievers will not believe in Jesus Christ, but it doesn't mean that they don't believe in something. Why are they going to believe in this false religion? Well, because as it says in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, because they did not receive a love for the truth so as to be saved. Now, this begs the question, of course, what will this false religion look like? And that's what I want to unpack for us here today. I think we have to have some humility when we start to unpack what this religion will look like because if the Lord should tarry for another hundred years, there may be movements, there may be religions that we've never conceived of that may pop up. But as it sits right now in the year 2021, I'm going to show you what I think the movements are that tie us into this great Babylonian religion. The first part of it, I think, is going to be pantheistic spirituality. Now, when I say pantheistic spirituality, remember pantheism is the idea that everything is God, that there's no distinction between the creator and the creation. All right. Now, when I use the term pantheistic spirituality, I'm using a very wide sweeping term. I'm encompassing the New Age movement, Hinduism, Buddhism, monastic mysticism, Freemasonry. There are a lot of movements that would be under this rubric. Now, why do I think pantheistic spirituality will be part of Babylon? Dear ones, I'm going to show you in this presentation two reasons. Number one, 
pantheism began in Babylon is the root of all false religion. And I think we have evidence in Zechariah 5 that it's going to return there again at the end. Again, pantheism, the root of all false religions, it began in Babylon, it's going to finish there. But second, pantheistic spirituality connects you to two lies that you find in the garden. Remember, in the garden, there was the lie that was given to Eve that she wouldn't die. Remember, the serpent said, you won't surely die. Well, what do you have in pantheistic spirituality? Well, you're going to either have some form of karma and rebirth through reincarnation, or you're going to evolve into godhood. All of that means you're not going to die and face judgment. The second great lie, though, that's the most important one in pantheism, is the lie that you will be like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. That's what pantheism offers, that people will become their own god as they come into contact with the impersonal all. Now, the second one that I think is going to connect into this rebuilding of Babylon and its false religion is Marxism. I want to be proving to you today that Marxism is not a political ideology as much as it is a religion that got into politics. And I'll be proving that today. Number three, environmentalism. Environmentalism takes the loving of Mother Earth because of pantheism and also the love of control that the Marxists have and put it together. Now, we don't have time to get into that. That's what I'm going to be looking at with you next week. Okay, so let's begin talking about pantheistic spirituality. One of the reasons we know that this is going to, again, be the end-time religion is because it is the pinnacle of worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Where do we see Paul talk about that? Well, the Apostle Paul talks about that in Romans 1.25. Now, by the way, as he is addressing people here, he's addressing unbelievers. So, in other words, let me pull up my pointer. When Paul references the they, he's talking about every single human being outside of Christ. Notice what he says is true of every person outside of Christ. He says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, dear ones, I want you to notice in this text here where it says that humanity exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Literally, in the Greek, it's the lie. There's some debate as to whether the definite article in the Greek here should be translated. I agree with Bob DeWay. Bob says it should be. I think he's right. The reason why is because this is linking us back to the garden. It's not just any old lie. It was the lie that the serpent gave to the woman that you will be like God. And so when you become your own God, it looks different in different circumstances. Sometimes you might create a statue and you worship that. But at the end of the day, you're really the God who's pulling the strings. Maybe you build some false religion that is ethereal or mystic, but it's still you that's pulling the strings. So at the end of the day, that's what pantheism does. It gives people license to be their own God. And what's very interesting in the research that I've done in the last few weeks, I found that pantheism had its beginning in Babylon. And what I'm claiming to you today is that pantheism is the root of all other false religion. And where did it begin? Babylon. That's where it began. Now, let me explain why. One of the earliest religious texts in the world is something called the Enuma Elish. I know some of you have read that in here and know about it. It's a Babylonian epic of creation. What's very interesting, if you read that epic, 
again, one of the earliest religious texts that we have, the gods of Babylon, whether it's Apsu or Tiamat, they proceed from primordial matter, matter that existed beforehand. And so their gods are coming from pre-existing material. That's pantheism, the idea that all is God. So what you have to know is that that pantheism went from Babylon, it went to the Aryans, Mesopotamia, to, to the Eastern world. Now, this is why it was so shocking in 1405 B.C. when Moses pens Genesis 1.1, where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that was revolutionary. Because the Babylonians were saying, no, our gods come from eternal matter, pantheism. But Genesis 1.1 says, no, there's an eternal God, and there's a distinction between him and the creation. Creator-creation distinction. So what I want you to see then is in Babylon, all of their polytheistic gods stems from pantheism. Think about Hinduism. Hindus are, they're pantheistic. They believe that all is God. Well, then why do they have individual gods like Kali or Shiva? Because they're individual manifestations. What we have to get in our mind is that polytheism stemmed from pantheism. And it all began at Babylon. So Babylon ends up having their gods, the chief of which is Marduk. And this spreads, of course, to Assyria. The chief of their pantheon is Ashur. And then you have Egypt, the pantheon. The head of it is Osiris. The head of the Phoenician pantheon is Baal. The head of the Greeks is Zeus. And notice on the screen, I'm trying to build a little bit of a map for you. Because what country ends up being in the middle of this but Israel? Israel is put smack dab in the middle. Why? Because Israel is to be the nation that is a light to the nations, as it says in Isaiah 49, 6. And they are to witness to the nations that there's one God, not many, and he's the creator of all things, and that through faith in him, you can have forgiveness of sins. But instead of doing that, the Israelites want the other gods. And so that's why we see, remember the sad news, Deuteronomy 32, 8, 3, 11, God wants one nation to belong to him as his inheritance, that's Israel, but they won't have it. They want the other gods just like the other nations. Now, I'm not just making that up. Notice what Stephen says. In fact, turn your Bibles as I read this to Acts 7, 42 through 43, because I'm going to read this whole text with you. Again, Acts 7, 42 through 43. I'll read the first portion off the screen. Here was Stephen, and he's rebuking the leadership of Israel because they're in solidarity with the Israelites of the past who wanted the demons rather than the true God. Acts 7.42, Stephen said this. He said, but God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. What's the host of heaven? It's the demonic realm. So the irony is all these nations with their false gods, which ultimately stem from pantheism, they're not worshiping gods at all. They're worshiping the demons. That's what the host of heaven is. It's the demonic realm. Now, let's continue reading. Notice he continued in Acts 7.42, the rest of it into verse 43. Stephen says, as it is written in the book of the prophets, now he's going to cite Amos 5.25-27, through 27. He said, did you offer to me slain victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Verse 43, he said, no, you took along the tent of Moloch and the star of your god, Rephan. 
the images that you made to worship. Stop there. What is this god Moloch? Well, it's actually a demon, but it's the god of the Ammonites, and he requires you to murder your firstborn. What about the star of Rephan? Well, that's actually Saturn, a false god or demon that the Babylonians and the Assyrians are worshiping. And so Israel's doing the same thing. What is God going to do? He says, notice at the end of verse 43, so I will remove you beyond Babylon. Israel, you want to be like Babylon? Then you're going to be thrown into Babylon and you can worship the demons just like they do. Dear brothers and sisters, Babylon began the problem with pantheism and all false religion and idolatry. And according to Zechariah 5, verses 5 through 11, I shared this last time, in the last days, God is going to remove in the last seven years the idolatry that stemmed from pantheism. He's going to remove it from Israel and he's going to put it back in Babylon. What began in Babylon is going to return in Babylon. Dear ones, the pantheism that began in Babylon, we also can conclude, is becoming mainstream today. Now, why do I say that? Because if you think about it, in the last 50 years, this pantheism that began in Babylon has become widespread through Hinduism that's infected the Western world, through the New Age movement. So now in America, the average American has more in common with pantheistic thinking than they do theistic thinking that comes from the Bible. And so you have a lot of people in the United States and the Western world that are ready to evolve to Godhood. So when you and I go out the door, we're entering into a culture that has a pantheistic worldview. And I want to share with you what they really believe. And you're going to see how this ties in to the belief that we are God. Notice here that they believe that since everything is God, pantheism, we must liberate ourselves into becoming one with the impersonal all. That's what they believe. Now, let me put a little bit more meat on the bones. The Hindus define this as Brahman and Atman. What's Brahman? Brahman is the idea of the impersonal all, that God is everything. He's the podium. God is the building. God is me. God is you. God is the microphone. Everything is God. It's all impersonal. That's Brahman. In your job, you have something called Atman. That's yourself your personality. And in this pantheistic religion, you're to liberate yourself from yourself and become one with the impersonal all. That's the goal. Now, how do you go about doing that? Well, you have to get yourself in an altered state of consciousness. That's the goal. Why? Because there you stop thinking about yourself the way the the world really is, and you depart from it, and you connect to the oneness of of the universe. Now, a little hint for everyone that may be engaged in this, you're not actually contacting the impersonal all. In reality, what they're really contacting is the demonic realm. They're being duped. It's a racket. And it's a racket done by the demons. Now, how do we end up going into an altered state of consciousness? Well, there's various techniques that they teach. One is called silencing of the mind. Ironically, sometimes today that's called mindfulness. But there's other techniques. One of them that I ran into when I was in seminary in Bethel was a professor, a a heretic, who was teaching something called Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina means a divine or sacred reading, 
and you use scripture. And you might say, hey, scripture, isn't that what we want? Yes. But they were reading scripture not to understand what the passage said cognitively, but to read the passage over and over like a mantra to put themselves in an altered state of consciousness, silencing the mind so they could contact the oneness of the spiritual realm. And in reality, what they're really doing at Bethel when they're teaching that is they're teaching people to be like the false teachers in Jude 10 who are like unreasoning beasts. Brothers and sisters, you and I as human beings created in God's image are created rational beings. So the way we know God is rationally understanding the scriptures cognitively by what he has said. That's being jettisoned in the pantheistic worldview where you use your instinct rather than your intellect. That's what's being advocated today. Now, there's other techniques like meditation and yoga. Let me talk a little bit about yoga because that's so prevalent today. How many here ever look at the literature that you get from your local community center? They'll talk about different activities and things that kids can join in in the summer. Well, ours in Minnetonka, there's always 100 yoga classes. And I remember going to my workout place that I used to work out before COVID, and there was always yoga classes everywhere. And I always being the pastor, I would joke, hey, when is the Lord's Supper class going to come? And my friends didn't think that was funny at all. They didn't get it. But here's the point. Yoga, people, when you challenge them on it, they say, well, it's just stretching. And I always would say, well, the Lord's Supper is just a dinner. Why don't you do that? But of course, the Lord's Supper isn't just a dinner. And yoga isn't just stretching. No, yoga is designed to get people into an altered state of consciousness. In fact, yoga in Sanskrit means yoke or union with God. That's what it means. And so in yoga, there are eight steps that you're going to go through to put yourself in an altered state of consciousness. The first five are called hatha yoga. And so the first five is where you get into these various poses and postures because what you're doing is you're preparing your body to have liberation from Atman. That takes a lot of preparation, you know. Then you get to the last three steps called Raja Yoga. And in Raja Yoga, you're going to silence your mind by using mantras. And guess what the mantras are? The Hindu gods. You say a Hindu god name over and over, and you silence your mind, and you get into an altered state of consciousness. Dear ones, what I want you to understand is that all of this is sin before God. We know that because in the New Covenant, remember, you and I are governed by the New Covenant. The Apostle Paul tells us this is sin. Notice here in Galatians 5.20, remember, this is the section where you have the distinction between the deeds of the flesh and the deeds of the Spirit. Well, here are the deeds of the flesh. This is all sin. Galatians 5.20, Paul says, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Notice sorcery. Sorcery, I've highlighted red. The term in Greek there is pharmakeia. Pharmakeia is where we get our term pharmacy. And I think the reason why Paul chose that term is because in the ancient Near East, what people would do is they would use drugs to put themselves in an altered state of consciousness, much like they did in the 1960s. (laughs) A lot of that happened through LSD. People were putting themselves in altered states of consciousness. Why? Because they want to contact the spiritual realm. Dear ones, that is sinful. The way that you and I know God is not by trying to get secret knowledge, 
by leaving our intellect and leaving the scriptures. But that's how we're to know him. We're to know him through the scriptures, not through an altered state of consciousness. At the end of the day, Satan and the demons, they don't care how you get into an altered state of consciousness. It's just good to them that you do. At the end of the day, Satan and the demons don't care what you believe. They don't care if you believe that you're contacting the impersonal all. As long as you don't have faith alone in Christ alone, you will perish. And that's the great lie that's coming back once again. Brothers and sisters, the pantheism, this worldview that began at the beginning in Babylon, is becoming widespread, leading people to Babylon once again. And to me, the fullest expression of believing that you are God, that you're evolving to that, is the Antichrist. Why? Because notice here in 2 Thessalonians 2.4 what Paul says of Antichrist. What is he going to declare? Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, is the one who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. Now, that would be very shocking in yesteryear where you had a theistic worldview, where you had a distinction between the creator and the creation, but in a pantheistic worldview, the world is going to yawn. Yes, they'll marvel at the fact that he had a pseudo-resurrection, but it's not going to be strange that someone is God because they're evolving to God too. They're being prepared for that. By the way, it's not just the New Testament that teaches the Antichrist declares himself to be God. The Old Testament said the same thing. Daniel 11.37. Remember in Daniel, 11.36 onward is about the Antichrist. Verse 37, regarding the same person Paul just talked about in 2 Thessalonians 2.4, it says, He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. Notice what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to set himself up again as God. Brothers and sisters, in 1 John 4, 3, John was very clear that this Antichrist is coming, but that spirit is with us today, he said. Meaning the ideas behind Antichrist are already with us. Dear ones, if pantheism began at Babylon, and according to Zechariah 5, it's going to end at Babylon, I think this is part of the Antichrist spirit. Think about this. Remember in 1987, there was a movie, uh, Shirley MacLaine was in it, that uh, pantheistic rascal. Well, she was in a movie called Out on a Limb. And if you remember, she gets out on the beach, she's a New Ager, and she starts yelling, I am God, I am God, I am God. Dear ones, the pantheism that came from Babylon has infected the Western world and it's really leading people back to the one religion that will go back to Babylon. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and leave us a message. We would love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramus, and you've been hearing Pastor Eric Dauma. We'll see you next week.